Welcome to Triple Threat, the podcast with Jamel President, where it's good news and good vibes all the time, baby. When we left Portugal to come play with you and your system, Jamel, it was the best thing for Shane because you, you, you pushed him to do other things outside his box. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. Hey, what's up, guys? Coming up next, we got a good friend, Danny Johnson uh, from Morganton, North Carolina. Uh, Danny and I became good friends uh, when he came to the College of Charleston from Clemson. And uh, we had a really, really great run uh, with those great additions um, at the college back in, in 19, maybe 97, I would think. Um, but in our conversation, we talked a lot about uh, the transition of the, of the sport in basketball, how the European uh, style of play has um, invaded um, the U.S. style of play and how kids and coaches need to adapt to that, that certain type, type of, uh, of development. So a uh, very interesting conversation and uh, I want you guys to hear all about it. All right, Danny Johnson coming right up. We're going to get right into it, man. I know you're busy. I'm not going to um, waste too much of your time. I appreciate you coming on. I know you did a lot with um, with Day TV, too, so I appreciate you. Um, and this podcast, our second season, we just tried to, you know, talk to former student athletes that that did it and did it big, you know what I'm saying, and and, and live their, life, their lives through sports, you know. And in our conversation, we will touch base on some of the things just from, you know, high school, middle school, college, professional career. Uh, and so forth. So, um, so again, I appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, no problem. So, you know, let's get into it. Let's let's go back to uh, Morganton. Let's go back to mm-hmm. Morganton. Um, you know, and we'd like to talk to our guests about uh, just like the Parks and Rec. You know, what 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 struck you into the sports? I know you was a a, a three sport athlete. Um, you played all you very very athletic play all sports. What what started that that coming out in, into into the rec departments? Like who was your biggest motivator? And and, and tell us how how that kind of really started your interest in sports. Yeah, I think it started off like most of us do. You know, my my mother finding something to put me in. You know, what I'm sure. saying to get rid of some of that energy that I had. Right. You know, being a young man, so she just wanted me to channel that in a way that was positive. You know, sometimes uh, energy can go either way. And so uh, I think she just wanted me to channel it into something that uh, I could find purpose in and something I would attach to. So it really was my my parents just signing me up for, for local things and, and obviously getting me to try everything that was kind of unique at the time. I got you. So what were some of the things? Like, I know you played basketball, uh, football, um, what was your biggest interest at that time? Were all sports interested? And what was the 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 the, 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 the structure? You know, because a lot of you being a major good athlete, 
you know, that structure had to come from someplace because you can't just born with that type of, you know, um, knowledge of how to play. How was the structure system in the rec department? You know, back then, I mean, this is revealing of my age a little bit, I guess. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm born of a really athletic family in general. Uh, mm. You know a little bit about that. So just competing with the guys in my neighborhood and my relatives, man. I mean, that was, fortunately for me, that was enough to take me far because they were so uh, good in their own right. And, and as far as the rec went, you know, my first sport was, was soccer, I believe, because it's the youngest one you could sign up for. Right. And so I got into that right away, man, and, and, and just loved it. Just loved being around other people, loved being a leader, loved winning. Looking back, I love losing, you know, because yeah. it, it pushed me. It pushed me. So, you know, the rec just provided that, you know, opportunity for us that don't have the money to, to get on these travel teams and, and private teams and any of that. So, right. you know, that was that was monetarily. That's what we could do where I was from. And my parents just made the sacrifice. And, um, you know, I, I laugh now thinking back, but they would drop me off in the summers. They would drop me off seven in the morning. And then come pick me up at like two or three in the afternoon. Sure. And I would do swimming, tennis, mm. baseball, soccer. I would do it all day. And, you know, the heat didn't matter. I don't know right. if you remember the days when the heat didn't matter, you know, as long as you stay hydrated. And it just, it kind of shaped me, not just in sports, but socially too, just as meeting a whole bunch of different type of people hanging out with different folks. Right. And it sounded like the program had to be solid in order to be able to you know, hold us, those kids' attention and provide those quality sports for that period of time. So, you know, kudos for, the, for those departments. And that's why I wanted to bring a lot of attention to of the, the development and start in the ground system of these athletes coming up. You have to have a good supporting rec department, an early age of development in order for things to, you know, uh, evolve later on in life. So take us, you know, here's the Danny Johnson in, in, in rec school, middle school, and of course, you're watching high school games, you see things happen, and you thinking about being that guy one, one day. Um, when did that interest turn on? What grade level? Because, you know, back then or now, kids could have played, you know, varsity in sixth, seventh grade, per se. That's when, you know, JV started. So give us a little feedback right. from, you know, JV and when it started and take us through just a little bit about up until you like your sophomore year a little bit. Yeah, for us, we had a junior high system. So junior high was seventh through ninth and high school was 10th through 12th. So a little different than the typical middle school program. Ah, but yeah, so uh, I never played JV anything, uh, <laughs> to be so honest. Um, I got to high school and uh, I laugh with my kids now looking back on it, but it lets you know about who pays attention and, and, and what, what areas worry about feeder systems. What I mean by that is I, I never been to a tryout, right? <laughs> like the kids are like, how you never been to a tryout sure, before? And sure. I was like, I think they just assumed that I was going to be on the teams, you know, as right. a varsity uh, player and, and sophomore. So I didn't go through that part of it. But what I did go through was the expectations. So, I mean, my high school, I have the win in this high school coach in North Carolina history. In North Carolina basketball is number one. It's not even – close you know like it's it's the premier sport in the state so watching that growing up like going to the basketball games in my hometown was like it man it was like the nba you Thank know you. like it was standing room standing room only you know thousands of people the energy you know small town that's what people latch to they don't have anything else exactly so 
So it was a lot, it was, it was excitement, the energy. And I just remember sitting in the stands, just thinking to myself, like one day, one day I'm gonna be out there. One day I'm gonna be that guy. One day I'm gonna be that guy. They are the cheer and the booing. I don't know which one it's gonna be. It's gonna change sure. every day. But I'm willing to be that guy and I wanted to be that guy. So I think that's when it started, just kind of going to the games and watching from the sidelines as a youth. Right. And um, so what were some of the the rivalries, you know, because, you know, talking to BJ and talking to Mel, just all the athletes, all the guests that we have, it's always that rivalry coming up where, yeah, that guy you were looking, that team you was going to watch play, there was a guy on that team that, hey, look, man, I think he's nice. I think he's, you know, he's, he's good to go. But it also was that guy in your grade level that you had to go against. Um, talk about yeah. the, the rivalry and, and, and some, some, some situations where, you had to you had to break that. You had to really show your your your, your alpha stance. Yeah, I mean the area I grew up in, we had a, a rival for a short period, McDowell County. They had a couple uh, Division One players on their team, but that didn't last. Like where I'm at in North Carolina, it's not the the greatest, even though you play at the highest level. What would you had to break through for us was going through the cities. So getting through Charlotte, getting through Greensboro, mm. getting through Raleigh. That was the breakthrough that my high school struggled with a little bit because we weren't playing those games on a regular basis. We were just piecemealing them during the year. So when it came playoff time, it was very difficult to get through. And plus, Charlotte at that time uh, had the school choice thing going on before that was a thing. So mm. they were load, they were loading up. Mm. So like a West Charlotte would have five power five dudes on the same team. So interesting. we didn't have that luxury. Yeah, we didn't have that luxury. So we knew breaking that threshold would have to come from, from building it with what we had. We wasn't going to bring anybody in or nothing. We just had to do it with what we had. And so that was really the, that was really the rivalry. I wouldn't say we had a crosstown rivalry or anything right, like that, right. but, but it was, but it was breaking through those major cities to, to, to win the big championship. Right. So as you come in, you know, as a as a freshman, sophomore, um, when did it click? You know, because, again, talking to the Aaron Lucases and talking to those guys, um, you start getting looks as your freshman, sophomore year. And when things started to really get serious, um, how was your work ethic, you know, at the beginning of your career? Did you have a serious work ethic? And when did it click when you start getting like some invite to camps and when you was like, oh, this is about to this about to start happening um you know it i'm trying to think about the time i can remember a specific game uh my sophomore year i wasn't getting to play a lot and i shouldn't have. you know there were guys that were better than me you know they were older more mature stronger all those things but i love to play basketball i just love to play so we played against that crosstown rival mcdowell and I got a few minutes. I think I ended up getting like, you know, six, seven minutes or whatever. That was huge back then because sure. sophomores just didn't, didn't play on the varsity team. And I scored like four points, five points. And I thought I won the world championship, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and my, you couldn't tell me nothing after that game. And we won. And I think that was the moment when I realized being on the floor, I was like, I'm not as big and strong as them yet but I can feel myself playing to that level of above if I keep working. So I sure. think that specific game was the one where I felt like I belonged, so to speak. For sure. But how was your work ethic? Did you, was it naturally talent? Cause that six, three to jump out the gym that can shoot it. You know, that's, you got natural 
you, you was able to sustain because you had natural ability, but you also got to water the, the soil. Like, how was your work ethic in, 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 let's say, starting like ninth and 10th grade in high school? To be completely honest, not very good. You know, the only thing that held me down was I, I love to play basketball. You know, right. I, I love to play pickup. I love to, to play run. Any, I'd play a game anywhere. Uh, where I didn't know, and this is just coming from a small town, different generation, you know, I didn't understand the importance of individual drills and uh, individual workouts and the weight room. I, at, at that time, it hadn't quite caught on the way it is now. And so I was way behind when it came to individual development. And you're right. Uh, being a natural athlete helped me uh, kind of weather that storm a little bit because I was behind uh, others in bigger cities and stuff who were getting that kind of stuff. Mm. So, you know, I was just fortunate, man, to be honest. I was just fortunate to be around a family and friends who were just super duper good athletes anyway. And just because of that, playing against them every day in my backyard, at the park, wherever, really prepared me. It wasn't the, the individual stuff like you have to have now. Now those things are necessary to be successful. But back then, you know, if you had enough going in your favor, you could kind of get through it. And that's why I wanted to touch base on and why it's so crucial that athletes aren't, that's, that's the margin that they're missing because, you know, we don't have, you know, current pioneers that saying, hey, look, these are the things that's important in order to get to this certain level. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you have a lot of support system once you get to the collegiate level, but everybody doesn't get to the collegiate level without, without the hard work. Like you said, you weather the storm because your natural ability. But what if a kid right. doesn't have the natural ability that had the, the knowledge of how to work and how important it is to work, they can get through the through the cracks by hard work and just be just as successful in the sport. And that's the things we kind of we trying to, you know, we, we we try to drive home about the importance of hard work and development and, and doing those things prior to getting to college. So as your sophomore year, and then you go into your junior year, um, because I know you, you, you talk about the recruitment, jump to the, you know, junior, senior year when you first got your letter, you still got recruiting. You're like, look, shit, I'm about to be a collegiate athlete. And then we, we'll get into the, 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 the recruitment wars and when you made your final decision. But take us, take us back a little bit, junior. So, yeah, yeah. I, I uh, yeah, going into my junior year, you know, we lost a lot of seniors, uh, really good players, uh, been around for a while. So, I kind of saw it as my time, you know, me and a, another guy who moved up with me, we, we saw our, our, our opportunity. So, you know, we started like our confidence was high because we've been playing in practice every day. I don't think kids understand that like sometimes your situation doesn't dictate you play right then and there, but it's better for you in the long run. And sure. I don't think kids understand that today. Like sometimes you have to sit and wait because it's good for you to see it and, mm. before you do it. And that's a hard thing to teach a young kid, you know, sure. they're so anxious and want to get out there. But, you know, just by default, I had to go through it and it prepared me just practicing every day. And so, you know, going in my junior year, I wasn't recruited very high at all. You know, uh, AAU was something that was just being introduced to me, uh, didn't know much about it. And uh, I had a team come get me and, you know, sat on the bench for this AAU team, uh, didn't understand it at the time. Another AU team came and got me and gave me an opportunity. And it was really then, like, I started to, like, make my ascension. I started making a name. But, 
no, I wasn't recruited high yet until after my junior year. That's when it started to prepare for me. So not between sophomore and junior, it wasn't much going on. But after my junior season on into that junior summer was really when I made my biggest jump. Got you. In today's time, my message, we got Chucky Robinson. Basically, I knew my calling call was uh, I can run the floor, like you said, finish around the basket. Um, I didn't have a jump shot. Um, I, I thought in my mind I was, a, I, was a, I was a good passer. So I had that down. I can dribble on a straight line uh, mm -hmm. to the basket with the ease. Right. So now I had to redefine my game of um, in college. I shot a little bit 15, 16 foot jumper. So I knew certain things I had to add to my game. So I started working on my game a lot, individualized, staying in the gym, uh, working on my 15 to 17. 17 foot jump shot um you know going to the basket left um left hand so i had to work on some things that you know that if you wanted to be the same player that you were in high school it wasn't going to work at the next level now let's get back to the interview and um who were who were some people that were were trying to get at you, and how did you make your how and why did you make your decision? Because again, talking to a lot of guests, I asked that question. Well, why did you go to A and T? Why did you go to North Carolina? And they say, well, you know, usually I knew someone at the school, or I was comfortable with the environment. It's usually some type of connection that causes the 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 the, the commitment from a student athlete or um, or um, you know, a school per se, but I'll make a quick joke. For us, the College Charleston, they promised us a whole arena, but we didn't get that until. <laughs> Anywho, but go ahead. Why uh, Why did you make your decision and uh, who helped you uh, uh, with that? Yeah, my, my recruitment was a little different. Uh, so I went into my junior uh, summer AAU and uh, I probably played one of the best games I've ever played in my life, any level. Uh, we played against the Charlotte Royals. It's a storied AAU program. I'm sure you've heard of them before. Right. They probably had more national championships than anybody. And uh, I got a chance to play against them with a bunch of guys that nobody went to college. <laughs> I didn't play with any of my high school teammates or none of that. It was just a bunch of guys that worked hard, loved the game. And for whatever reason, I was crazy enough to think we could beat them. Right. And uh, we came within, I think, like, I think we lost by like five and we're talking about every single person on this roster playing power five. Some of them are lottery picks like a couple years later. So, you know, uh, I think I had like 40 against them Ooh. and it was again, and it was, uh, it was in front of everybody. It was in the open period. It just started. And so every major college coach you could imagine, remember how we get excited to see those guys. For sure. For sure. Every single, every single face you've ever seen on TV was in that gym that day. Queens College Charlotte and they weren't there to see me I can assure you that sure. Sure. <laughs> they were there to see that team right. but I always looked at that as an opportunity you know I looked at it and I was so excited to play and the way I performed that triggered everything for me so now mm -hmm. you know the, the prep schools are coming in you know they're uh, the bigger power fives are coming in now they're starting to notice me and uh but the thing was my high school team as a junior was the best team I played on in high school we lost first round uh, there's a whole backstory to it. We're, we relate to the game, not by our fault. And 
you know, we didn't start. There was a whole lot of rhythm off and we lost in the first round. So that triggered me to really worried about winning a championship my senior year. So I kind of put the recruitment on the back burner mm. until until after my senior year, which is unusual. Most people uh, commit like as juniors. Right. I was more uh, I was more concentrating on getting that ring that I felt like we left on the table for sure uh, the previous year the previous year. So I didn't even get into my recruitment until after we won the, the state championship. I got you. And so take us into the recruitment a little bit because um, I know you you what you end up at Clemson and then the college yeah. what. What are some recruiting roles and why'd you, because I mean, coming from North Carolina, you know, everybody was wanting to go to North Carolina. We'll get into that. You know, a lot of situations, you, you like to see these college stories where there was a, there was a state, those state kids didn't get recruited by the state school. So they end up having big wins when they play against them. And you did it at the college, also hitting that big shot against North Carolina. But we'll get into that briefly, but talk about why the decision from uh, uh, to Clemson uh, out of your senior year. Yeah, you know, so I, I put off the recruitment to after. So, you know, a couple things happen. And you know this. Uh, there aren't as many scholarships available if you wait, you know. Right. But but it opens the door for new opportunities of guys who are leaving, too. So it's a little bit, you know, here or there. But um, in my state championship game, again, uh, I had a really good guy. I just was always really excited about big games. So right. uh, I broke all the records. I think I had 37, 7, and 7. And, you know, that's the only game they put on TV. Mm. They play it here in North and South Carolina. And after that, I went from being, you know, recruited pretty good to I'm now the top unsigned player in the country or one of them. Right. And that just propelled everything. I think think you're being a little modest right here, but I think you need to, the, the, the audience wants to know how the recruitment process go. Who are some schools? Because if, if, if you just saying, Hey, look, I came from a small town and I just end up at Clemson. That's not really the, that would happen. You got to take them through. Right. You know what I'm saying? I know you can call out some, 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 some schools. It's, it's fine. Cause they got to, they got to, they got to see that. You know how kids are like, they got to, it's, it's right. like hearing the tangible things that, Oh yeah, these are that school, that school, this is how it's done. So briefly, just a little bit, just give us a little, what schools that were recruiting you and then why did you choose Clemson? And even if, Clemson and what other schools choosing you? Clemson is the ACC school, like that's huge, in 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 and just coming from a small mm-hmm. town, even if it's by default or whatever, and you still had to had to play and have some have some some skills to make that happen. So just 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 give us a little bit. Well, you're opening up Pandora's box here a little bit. Okay, well let's open it up then. Let's go. Uh, my high school experience wasn't typical, so you know you talk about recruiting. Um, I played for a high school coach that I'm not sure uh, his agenda about kids going to college. Like I met a bunch of people in college once I got there and guys would tell me about their coach taking them to schools and this, that, and the other. I never had any of that. I I never, I never, I think I received one letter from him the whole time I was there. Now you'd have to ask him about that and why, but, but I didn't really know everybody who was recruiting me. Cause at that time, you know, there was no social media. There wasn't any of that. So exactly. people were trying to go, they were going through your coach exactly. and all the messages wasn't getting to me. Um, I found that out later, but you know, I played so well to tell the truth. I played so well that schools were going around him mm-hmm. to get to me. They were starting sure. to call my house personally now. For sure. And so now, 
you know, my schools, I think I ended up being down to Clemson, Tennessee, Florida, Cal, uh, North Carolina kind of came in at the end talking to me. Wow. Uh, not sure what they were going to do. I didn't see any writing on the wall with me playing there. <laughs> so, you know, um, my dream school, though, was NC State, believe it or not. They weren't very good. Uh, I grew up watching them dominate Valvano in the 80s. I, like I want to be part Donovan of that. Monroe. It was, Don, it was uh, Donovan, not Donovan Monroe, uh, Rodney Monroe. Rodney Monroe, yeah. Fire Nice, Chris Corciani, Rodney yeah. Monroe. Yeah. Even before him, you know, David Thompson, Chris Washburn. A lot of them are from my area, too. So sure. I wanted to go and turn it around. And they took two of my friends. You probably remember them. C.C. Harrison and Aishwa Benjamin. I like, I uh, love Aishwa. They were from North yeah. Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, were, we were the North Carolina kids. And they took them, too, instead of me. Uh, Les Robinson lives here in, in Charleston now. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. For sure. Yeah. I, yep. I, I run into him at Hall sometimes. And I dig into him about passing <laughs> up. I told, I told him. I told him he'd still have his job if he'd have made the right choice. <laughs> <laughs> so so honestly my heart was uh at nc state which is unusual i didn't have any i didn't really want to go to north carolina i had a cousin who was a superstar running back at the time leon johnson right. he was pushing for it but there was no room for me either you know like i was good but i wasn't on the level of the guys sure. they were getting at that time you know you have sure. to be realistic for you know? sure you have to be sure. realistic for sure you know? and that's hard to do it's hard to do when you compete for and sure. you believe in yourself but when you look out there and you see Jeff McGinnis and Shimon and Jerry Stackhouse, Rasheed, Vince Carter, you know, Donald Williams, uh, it's sure. going to be hard to crack the lineup, especially when sure. you're a freshman and they didn't play freshman back then. Right. So I had I, I, I was looking at some schools like, um, I, you know, maybe sitting out a year possibly. But <laughs> when you look at when you're looking at two. Yeah, it's, it's a different situation. You know, it's tough. So there's some schools that were in that scenario. So I kind of looked at it like that. Like, where could I go that I can possibly make an impact uh, right away? And and you and you chose Clemson. And um, mm -hmm. how was your how was your experience there? And and when you and I wanted the audience to understand this. When you choose chose Clemson, like you say, you you basically chose on the playing time and your opportunity of getting on the floor, which all players should do. But in your calculation, did you consider playing style? Um, obviously, the you know, you were close to home, but did you consider playing style? And if you did, um, what situation that, that caused the transfer or caused you to, to have interest in the transfer? I see you smile. But those, these are questions that, you know, that yeah. they, got a, they got a portal. You got a portal that yeah. makes it a lot easier. So, you know, I ask these questions for athletes so they understand, like, you know, because the athlete may think of right now, I want to transfer. And hearing this um, podcast might make them either change the decision or either make them stronger in their, in their decision based on how things were. So you choose Clemson based on um, whatever you base it on. And why, why didn't it work out? Well, two things. Uh, I picked Clemson because it was only an hour and a half from my house, one. Uh, and two, it's in the ACC, which I consider the best basketball conference, hands down, historically, not even close. For me. sure. So it, it covered the basis of things I want. And number three, Rick Barnes was from close to my hometown. We basically were raised in the same area. He was the coach at the time. For sure. So all those things together uh, made it pretty easy for me. Now, you touched on something that kids should look at, and I didn't know at the time. Again, we're talking generational differences here. 
but I didn't look at playing style the way I should have. So I was looking at Arkansas because I loved the way they played. Mm. I don't know if you remember the 40 minutes of hell. Yeah, yeah. Like they pressed you the whole game. Career. And so yeah. Yeah, I was starting to hear from them a little bit late. And I remember thinking like, man, that's my style, you know, using my athleticism, you know, running through passing lanes, you know, pressing for 40 minutes, a lot of high scoring, not a lot of passing, good scores. Right. And I, I, I like that style that probably fit me more, better. But I went to a school at Clemson, first year head coach, our talent level not that high. So now we're trying to play games in the high 50s, low 60s, mm. you know, low possession. Really didn't fit my style, you know, at the time. It didn't sure. fit what I did the best. You know, I was a scorer. That's my reputation all through high school, all through most people that meet me. Sure. So it didn't fit. And as far as transferring that aspect of it, you know, it. my freshman year was a little rocky. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm young, impressionable. You know, coaches can be really hard on you at that level. Right. And – to be completely honest, there's probably a level of confidence I lost somewhere in there, you that's know, because you're scared normal. to make a mistake. You're that's scared normal. to make a mistake, right? Right. Yeah. You know, like if I make a turnover, he takes me out. And we all know you can't play any sport like that. You can't right. you you can't play that way. And I caught myself doing that. And so when I came back my sophomore year, I put on, I think, 65 pounds of muscle. Right. I was in the gym religiously. And I came back just like, you know. I'm going to try to be the most unstoppable force they meet. And sure. I got pretty close to that. And so the minutes just weren't there. I think I think I forgot. I look back at it. I think I never played over 15 minutes a game, but I think I might have won four or five player of the games. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so for me, for me, I was looking at it like, wow. you know, if I can do this in 15, what can I do in 30? The most important message to get across to student athletes suffering from mental health issues is that you're not alone. Many student athletes deal with depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and other mental health struggles. If this is the case, speak to someone like a counselor, a parent, a trusted adult, or your fellow teammate. Adults who are supporting a student athlete should be aware of the signs. A student athlete who is experiencing mental health difficulties might have constant fatigue, loss of appetite, mood swings, apathy, or even declining grades and or social isolation. A student athlete's mental health can be severely affected by an injury. An athlete's entire life becomes about their sport. And when they lose the ability to play, it can take a huge toll mentally. As we continue to reduce the stigma around mental health, hopefully more middle and high school level student athletes will feel confident discussing their health, whether it be mental or physical. The Triple Threat Podcast will be adding a psychology aspect in season two. We will be doing our part to help destigmatize mental health when it comes to student athletes. So subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform so you never miss an episode. Now let's get back to the interview. 
But so uh, I was going to transfer in December. Uh, we're speaking about transfer rules. Uh, a little different because you got to sit out a year for sure back then. Right. So December, I told my parents I wanted to leave. And they gave me the best piece of advice. At the time, I thought it was hard. They said, you started the season with your team. You finished the season with your team. You know what I mean? I don't care what you're going through. And so two sides of that. Uh, <laughs> Two sides of that. One, I was disappointed because I wanted to leave and, and right. try to do something else. Two, I tell you what, my confidence went out the building because I was like, you know what? Mm. I got nothing to lose. And the mm-hmm. most dangerous person is somebody with nothing to lose. Mm. And so a lot of those player of the games I told you about came in that second comp, that second part of the year. Right. Uh, because I just I played all out, had nothing to lose, and uh started to make a name for myself even in a short amount of time. But I just knew the writing was on the wall for me. I spent two years there and just, you know, mentally, I uh, just couldn't do it anymore. Uh, there, there was some things said that, you know, it would be different going forward and a lot of people get involved. I don't know if you want to talk about that aspect of it. I don't know how deep you're getting into this thing, <laughs> but there's alumni and, and all kind of people surrounding these situations that uh, influence everything. So, for sure. Uh, they were trying to get me to stay a difficult process for me to get out of there. Uh, but they finally granted my release. And, uh, then it was about choosing other schools. The college was not on my radar to be completely honest. It was not anything I thought about, uh, at first, but you know, they're one of the ones that make the call. I didn't know if you wanted to go into college or not. Well, let's talk about that transfer right quick. So, I think we were in an open gym or something. We were just in the off season. And so I get a call to coach office like, hey, uh, Jamel, can you just come talk to me? I'm like, this is rare. Like, this is not doing <laughs> this is not doing the season or anything. So why, why is he calling calling me up? So um we getting in, you know, we we always had conversations about how I was a combo guard. I wasn't a point. I wasn't a two, but I was a great defender. So he always threw that at me, like, "Hey, look, you, you know, you, you, you Anthony is going to start the two, or you, but you know, Shane's a point and Stacy's a two. So I always he didn't know where to put me. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> so he got there. We got the story talking. He's like, "Well, Jamel, I'm bringing this guy in, Danny Johnson, my six four, <laughs> in the Brooklyn accent, huh? from Clemson." <laughs> You know, he's going to come in. Another guy, Carl Thomas, he didn't bring those two guys in. I'm I'm, thinking, I'm looking, I'm like, okay, what does that mean? He's like, well, you know, I'm kind of looking, you come off the bench a little bit, kind of playing the two, the two and a point a little bit. You have to really learn a point this summer because I'm like, oh, I see where this is coming. So that was his, his way of telling, hey, look, we got two major athletes coming in and we're going to be really, really good. And when y'all came in, bro, like in the, in the spark, y'all half of the team, it sets us set us up a whole another different level. So just talk about that experience. Well, you coming in and what you learned from 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 coach from you know from Coach Cress as as a player as a coach. Yeah, the school itself sold me. Uh, I've told this story many times, and it's true. Um, the schools are obviously very beautiful. People didn't know about it then; they do now, but they didn't know about it like they do, and. The facilities were terrible. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. You know, my high school facilities were better. But I watched you guys play pickup. You may not know this, but I was sitting in that little hallway stretch between the mm. gym and the office, and I was sitting there, and I watched y'all play pickup. And I remember after about five minutes, I said to myself, these guys could beat us. 
They got this team right here could come up there to Clemson and beat us. And I did not expect that, to be honest. I did not. I thought I thought I was going to walk in, average 20, you know, (laughs) do my thing. You know, like I thought, you know, you know how our mind runs. All of us do this. For sure. And and I thought that I was going to do it. And then watching I play pick, I was like, hold on a minute. Hey, I'm going to have to earn a spot here. This is not going to go like I think it's going to go. And But to be honest with you, it it excited me. For um, sure. Eddie Fogler was a big part of that, believe it or not, at South Carolina. Mm-hmm. He called me, but he was very honest. He's like, I can't bring you here because you couldn't compete against BJ anyway because he's from Columbia. It's just not good for me exactly. overall. And I understood I understood sure. that. I understood sure. that. I was like, yeah, he said, I, even if you beat him out, you went, you can't beat him out, you know? Sure. And I was like, I understand. But he talked about the College of Charleston, and I didn't know about it. He's like, man, they got such and such, such, and he rattling off y'all's names. And then so, and then that with the combination of seeing y'all and uh, Coach Pressman and the staff, they just gave me something magical. They were like, hey, man, you could go to another big school. You can see what, what happens, but or do you want to be a part of something magical and, and bigger than, than just that, just playing? And sure. I remember that sat on me and I was like, you know what? Why not, man? Why not partner with these guys and go out here and just cause, cause a rift, like junk up the system a little For bit. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, sure. You know, put a, put a mid-major on the level where we're not scared of nobody, nowhere, anywhere, park, your place, our place. We, I want guys that want to get it. And that's who exactly sure. who you guys were before I even got here. For sure. And um, and we had a great, you know, we love, we like, like you said, we brothers, we love, we love playing together. We learn a lot from each other. And that was, that was a great, great experience. But we joke a lot of, t- a, lot of a lot about this coach Crest system, right? How, how, how great the system was. And it kind of, we were free, but we still was contained at the same time. And we joke about mm-hmm. the transition from, you know, the comfortability, of how you played at the next level at Pennsylvania from the USBL. Before we get into mm-hmm. that, you know, just tell the audience briefly about the transition as far as, you know, you leaving uh, the college of Charleston and getting to the pro, having an agent, and briefly talk about that transition and some of those things on how you end up in the USBL and end up having, a, you know, a, a great career overseas, um, you know, fulfilling out that dream. You know, it's funny because, you know, we didn't have a lot going on, and again, at that time, you know, we didn't have great individual numbers because we played as a team. You know, we had, what, five or six guys average double figures? Yeah, it was like, like 12, that. 13, 14, 15. Yeah, we're all in a row, all in a row, right? So we didn't have these big numbers in a mid-major, and I think that hurts you as far as, like, uh, professional um, aspirations go. So it's interesting. It's funny, and I'm going to bring you into this. <laughs> it's interesting, Pennsylvania. But we get drafted to USBL, as you mentioned, and I look at it as an opportunity, again, to, to show what I could do. The interesting part is I get there and I'm with a coach and he's watching me pick up and he's like, why are you doing all this passing and cutting and all this other kind of stuff? You know, I'm like looking at him like, that's what we do. That's what we do. We pass and we cut. We move. (laughs) He's like, he he said, no, son, your talent is scoring the ball. You get Mm. the ball, you score. And I remember that because I was, it just kind of freed me, you know, because in Mm. college, either college I was at, I never had that. And so I was like, what? You just telling me to hmm. play one-on-one basketball? And that was the NBA style at the time, I remember. And it freed me. And I'm bringing you into this because i never forget this. We're playing against your team. Yep. The US and I'm on the baseline. Rick, I was a Rick Barry in USB. Yep. Uh, yep. uh, yeah, go ahead. 
And I remember I was on the baseline, a three-point line. I jab step, pump fake, jab step, raised up, hit a three in the guy's face. And I could hear you behind me. And I, I never forget this. You go, you looking way too comfortable out there. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that? I do, do remember that. that. I do remember that. <laughs> it was way just, too comfortable. I mean, because, you know, we're both rookies. We're both rookies. And I'm like, yo, this guy is taking shots. Like, he's like, he been on the team three and four years. And you're, you're, you're leading the league. And scoring, like you're averaging about what, like 29, something like yeah, that? Yeah, I was averaging quite a bit. No, not quite. I wasn't the highest, but I was like – At least top three. 18, 18, 19 a game, something like that. Right. You know what I right. mean? So, but it was, it, was, it was great for being a rookie and just seeing that transition, right? Because yeah, we talked about comfortability, taking shots, we went in that type of offense. And now here – No. Three months later, you're like the whole system is going through you. I'm like, that's – and then you got to understand from – players that's listening from a tryout and invitation to uh, training camp, free agent camp, rookie camp to play any games and got the ball in your hand. Like that means you beat out at least two, 300 players to get that, to get that nod, to get that green light. And that's huge. So I will say this though, playing hard, like defensively, what we learned in college gave you the opportunity to get the ball in your hands. You know, you understand what I'm saying? That starts with that. You They got to see you first. A lot of times in a tryout situation, guys try to score their way on the team. Right. And that's not how you do it. They're not going to look. They already got guys. Exactly. But what they will do is if you can have a, a value to them and then they see you have that other additional scoring ability, then they start to designate that to you. It's a little different as a pro. For and sure. so I just played college ball. But I think he saw my skill set within that. And he said, hey, if you don't go one on one, I'm going to take you out of the game. And I was like, well, this is completely opposite from what I've been dealing with, you know? So I, I, you know, I would throw it to the guys on the block. Just, I felt guilty, you know, hey, hey. guilty for taking all these shots. Like I'm not used to it, but after a while, I just got used to, you know, the professional game and thought process and managers and presidents and GM, they see the game completely different than what the college system was that we came out of. And this time, my message, we got Coach Ben Betts. In particular, as a head coach, I wanted to make sure, one, that I treated everybody fairly. That's, that's very, very important to me. Uh, but also that I interacted with everybody in the same sense where, one, that they understand and know that they have value and that they're important. Mm. Uh, so, you know, when I got to South Carolina State, um, there were some really good players that, that, that stayed, but also because at the time we were dealing with some APR issues when I got the job at South Carolina State. Right. So I had to take on some walk-ons. Right. And those walk-ons helped me win, mm. helped us win. Mm. Uh, so they were really, really valuable, but from one, from the on down the line, it was important. That's just the way I am and how I feel about it. But everybody's important. Everybody has a purpose. Everybody has value. Now let's get back to the interview. And what you're telling athletes that, yeah, college, college, you know, uh, transition and thought process is totally different in the professional level because, yeah, in a collegiate level, 
out of the 10 players on the court at the time, he probably got about five or six good players. You know what I mean? Then this goes up level, level. But in the professional level, it's all 10. So right. really all 10 got special gifts that they got to really put together under that situation in that game, you know, in that game mode and be effective. And like I say, I was giving you kudos and you did all that comfortably when I first, when we first, when I first saw you out there. So you played the USPL <laughs> in Pennsylvania and then overseas was the next step. Take us how, how that happened with the, cause, uh, and well, I, I think I tell my players all the time, you know, I think you as far as a friend is not our friends, you know, people, players do that. Like you, you know, gave me, gave Brian Elfis, you know, uh, my information he called, he tried his best to help me out, but he just couldn't, I didn't have the numbers and then have the, 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 um, the marketing numbers to be, you know, effective, but I appreciate you for, you know, allowing Brian to help me out in that situation. And that's another thing too, about agents is so important. USBL oh. to overseas. How, what, how was that transition? You know, I think we all, you know, coming from a mid-major situation where there weren't many professional players, we didn't have that pipeline to the top agents. We didn't have a pipeline to being in the right places at the right time. And I'm not sure if that was related to the coaches not understanding what needed to be done or if we just weren't respected like that on a mid-major level. I don't know. I can't speak on that because I don't know the answer. Right. But, yes, you're completely right. Your representation is almost as important as your game. For sure. And I, and I know that says a lot, but, you know, I obviously – Brian's a great guy. He's a friend to this day, but he was a, a, a lawyer trying to be an agent at the time. Right. You know, he was right. new himself. So we were we were growing together. Like it True. wasn't even like he was established. I was trying to put him on and he was trying to put me on. And, For sure. You know, nobody really wanted me like that. Nobody was trying to represent me like that. But we were just kind of going against the grain with each other. You know, we were trying to build uh, our own thing together. And so after USB, I was in Bridgeport, Connecticut, by the way, not Pennsylvania. Right. But, um, you know, transitioning after that, you know, doing that oh, work in USB. BJ, before you get into that, tell our audience, because, <laughs> you know, like I said, you put the, and you did put them on, because you put them in, in, in the readers, uh, he was able to, the lily pad and jump off situation. So before you get into that transition, talk about the, his clients that he have right now, Brian Elfis. <laughs> yeah, now he represents a lot of the big coaches. He got out of players. I think we wore him out. <laughs> Those late night calls of all this stuff he had to take care of. Yeah, he ended up representing some big time guys. Kawhi Leonard being probably the top of the list, and and others, man. And you know, he kind of worked his way through the system, and he and that's why we're friends to this day. For sure. Uh, because because we put each other on. You know, exactly. I think I think in his mind. You know, he wished he could have got me higher, you know, along the totem pole. I think he just sure. think I deserved it. But he just didn't have the power and leverage uh, the power brokers have in the NBA. And that's what people don't understand about the business of the game, uh, that there's a lot of moving pieces that have nothing to do with the game itself. And you're, you're better off educating yourself and learning how those pieces move to, to how you, you go along. You know, I didn't learn that till late. So I, I kind of knocked myself out the box, but, you know, I don't regret it because, you know, now, you know, I have some friends and other, other player teammates I've had that had some success. My agent, like you said, Brian, you know, he represents a lot of the big coaches and GMs in the NBA now. 
So a lot of people grew from that one situation. So That's I'm not true. regretful of it at, at all. I'm just happy that uh, I got an opportunity. You know, I just got an opportunity and I ran with it. For sure. All right. I just want people to understand the importance of that and, and how we all put each other on in certain situations. So go ahead. Yeah. From oh, Connecticut yeah. to the overseas. Yeah. So, you know, I get out of USBL and, you know, I obviously had a great year. Uh, we lost in the championship, but I rookie of the year and a lot of other stuff. And here's where basketball gets interesting again. Uh, I had some teams say they were going to draft me in the CBA and the IBL. Uh, you know, I watched the drafts come and go and not selected any round. Mm-hmm. And I remember how it made me feel. And you're very familiar with this because I know how you built. Uh, I took that as like, uh, I don't know, man. I took it like as uh, I was taking no prisoners at that point. You know, sure. at that point, I was just mad at the whole situation. So I ended up getting a tryout over in London where we got to play in France with a couple uh, against a couple teams without signing. You know, it's kind of outside their, their country right. so you could do it. And we so happened we played against the IBL All-Star team comprised of all these ex-NBA guys. Bernie Bickerstaff is the coach. And long story short, man, I think I had a 40, 40-point game against them and we beat them. Mm-hmm. And we beat them. And uh, if you know me well, you know I was talking the whole way to the bench, to Bernie. Because at this point, I felt disrespected uh, in my game. And I was letting anybody and everybody know it. Uh, I was like, until you do right by me, I'm going to kill everybody you see. Basically, that's what I was on. And and that propelled me to being with Bernie in St. Louis and IBL, which is a first-year league. They paid pretty good. You know, Bernie had just got fired as the GM and head coach for the Wizards. Uh, right. Guy I respected, one of the first black head coaches in the NBA. So, you know, I had a ton of respect for him. Even though we were competitors, I talked crazy to him <laughs> during the games. <laughs> but he appreciated that my fire and passion. And I think sure. that's what he saw in me. And he brought me back to the States to play in IBL. And that really set me up for everything else that kind of came after. For sure. For sure. And Brian helped and the Asian helped facilitate a lot of those things overseas as well. How, how long mm-hmm. was uh, your career, per se, you know, total after college, you would you would say? And what and what before we get into that, what some of, for the audience, what are some of the things that that you can say you learned from playing overseas? You know what I'm saying? Because some of the difference with food, language barriers, what some things that you had to adjust, adjust to and learn um, from that experience? I probably did a poor job at that the first, I'd say, three or four years. Uh, I just didn't feel like I belonged in Europe. Uh, I got an opportunity to play in NBA summer leagues, uh, went to camp with the Knicks, and I got to see myself against the best. And, I, you know, I feel like my numbers spoke for themselves. So I probably didn't do a very good job at first, you know, because I just was reluctant to be there. You know, sure. it's my, my own fault. Nobody's fault. But. I just was kind of reluctant, you know, just kind of showing up, doing my job, not really absorbing myself into my environment like I should. Right. Um, But after about four years, five years, you know, you get to be about 25, 26, and you realize that NBA window is closed pretty much, you know, to to be there long term. uh, It had to be a crazy string of events and luck to happen. And I just knew it wasn't that. So then my mind changed to absorbing to my situation, you know, learning to be comfortable where I was and absorbing my environment and actually taking in all these beautiful things I was getting to see in the world, man. I mean, 
the, the salary is one thing, but the experiences are even more valuable sure. than that. You sure. know, so and I was starting to understand that. And in that way, I even became a better player over in Europe because I committed to it. You know, I finally said, you know, this is what I'm going to do. You're talking about differences. Once I changed my mind to that, you know, I absorbed myself in the culture. Sure. I started eating their food and trying their cultural norms and this, that and the other. I So I started educating myself, I guess you could sure. say, past the small town kid from North Carolina, you know, opening my mind to what the world had to offer. Because uh, I started to know that, you know, this ain't going to last forever, too. You know, this is something that started dawning on me. Like, For sure. This is not going to last long. So enjoy the moment. Enjoy where you are. And I think that transition, it's about 25 or 26. When I transition from, all right, I'm not going to be a 10-year NBA player. It's not going to happen. So my next level was what? And it was going to Europe, getting everything I could out of I'd won everything in the States that I could. You know? sure. For CBA, sure. MVP, you know, MVPs in every league. So there was nothing really left for me to do here stateside. So I, I made that commitment and I, I just enjoyed the back end and I almost played 11 years to answer your question, almost right. 11 years. So, you know, I kind of absorbed it the last five, six years of my career. For sure. For sure. And like you said, um, you, you came back and, um, and you got your degree. Uh, talk mm -hmm. to the audience about how important that was and the, and what pivot that, like what changed, you know, because we all sit in the house one day, you know what, man, I got to go finish. I got to go do that. But it, it's a process. It's going to the school, going online, making your calls, getting your resources, signing up, figuring out this. It's a process. So what triggered that process uh, and how important that was in, in life to, to finish that? Because, you know, athletes that, like I said, we all have dreams and aspirations, but because of the workload and because of the schedule, we don't sometimes go back. Um, why was that important of doing that, and how uh, how how beneficial, you know, it has been personally and uh, professionally? Well, the number one reason uh, I can tell you right now is my mother. She had no problem with me going to chase my dream, but it came with a promise. Now sure. you laughing because you understand what what, what I'm talking about. Sure. Sure. She had no problem with me chasing my dreams because she's my mother and she loves me. She encouraged me to do, you know, hope without hope in life. You have nothing for sure. Right. So she wanted me to do that. But the promise was the first thing I did was finish my degree. It came with that caveat. So sure. I'll start there. But to the kids who are involved in sports that are listening to this podcast, let me tell you this. Take care of your business while you're there. I, 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 to me, I consider it a failure, even though I went back and got it. I'm proud of myself for doing mm. that. And I got my master's. Mm. But I should have took care of my business while I was there, while those people were invested in me and, and, and doing what I needed to do. And that's where I came up short. And I would tell any, any student athlete, listen, don't forget what you're really here for. You can get distracted. You can get caught up in what you're doing. Other people will make you feel like those things are more important, but your future is more important than even all of that. And you don't always understand that as an 18, 19, 20 year old. And so I would tell them, hey, you got somebody paying for your school and paying for these opportunities. Take advantage of them the same way you're taking advantage of your sport. For sure. For sure. And, um, you know, DJ, you know, transferring to life after college. Um, you know, working with the uh, college of Charleston. I think your grandfather did the same thing with uh, the game call. South Carolina. Mm -hmm. you, you know, talk about that transition in life and, you know, playing the game and now you can talk about the game. 
you know, you have to be very, very, very educated, you know, not as a, as a person, but just to be able to see the game and articulate that for fans that can't see it. Like that's a skill in itself. Um, and we all know how you love to talk, you know what I mean? So <laughs> making a living yeah. and you do it well, you know? So talk about right. that, how, 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 how that experience um, has helped you and what, and what joy that's brought to you. Cause I, I can tell the, the, the intensity in, in your voice. And when I hear you talk about it and do it, it's uh, you sound like a natural. You know, uh, that uh, opportunity just kind of came about <laughs> piggybacking off your point about me. They had a spot open down at the school. And the question was, you know, who knows a little bit about basketball and alum and talks a lot. And so I was, <laughs> I was the unanimous choice. Since, uh, that's what I'm known for. But you're right. My grandfather was the voice of the Gamecocks for 43 years. Um, you know, the one thing about moving around as much as I did in my career is it put me in the room with multiple Hall of Fame minds in basketball. So, like, mm. let, give me give me an example. So, take, like, a Tim Duncan who played for Popovich his entire career. Sure. The problem with that is he only has his perspective. Mm. But if you jump around as much as I did, mm. you playing with I, – I mean, I can't tell you how many head coaches in college and NBA that I've been under. And so when you pull from all these different sources – yeah, you really get intelligent. Okay, I wish I'd have known it when I was 20. It helped me, but sure. still the experience of learning from so many different, not even just here, but in Europe. Obviously, the European game has taken over our game. For I sure. mean, let's be honest. Their, their sure. style of play has taken over the NBA style. For so sure. I kind of have all these different perspectives which help me identify things that I might have, wouldn't be able to do otherwise if I didn't have those experiences. For sure. And that's, that's those using those transferable skills to be effective. Um, so again, big ups to that big guy. And I think you're doing a good job with that. Um, student athletes, what do you think is the, 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 the biggest, uh, I'll say missing point with student athletes today? Um, Cause we see, yes, a lot of skill, high jumping, but the, 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 the IQ is just not there. I think some things, some, and I think that's overlooked because of the, not blaming AAU and playing games, but I think more of the, the playing games and performance versus the skill development and the, and the, and the, and the mental concentration of the game. What do you, what's your take on that? Frame that for me. Um, people are probably not going to want to hear this one, but it's just my take on it. Um, I saw the European invasion of our game when I spent time in Europe. And I mean that because if you look at our system of sports here in America, right? Most of us are taught by volunteer coaches all the way up until you're like, what, almost high school, whatever. Mm. So you're taught by these people who are just committing to you, you know, which is great. Don't get me wrong. Like they're taking time out of their schedule. But each person's level of knowledge is different. Some have zero, some have 50, some have 80, some have zero. But in Europe, the club system they have is ingenious. And this is why you're seeing so many ready-made players come from there because they have, they're under an umbrella of the pro club, the mm -hmm. school, mm -hmm. and those kids are constantly taught by pros very young, mm -hmm. very young. So their idea about maturity, game understanding, skill, uh, all being taught by professionals from when they're four or five years old. For sure. And so people can't understand why they caught us 
and some would say maybe past us in some elements of the game. I saw that coming a long time ago, only because I saw the way their system was. And I know that's uncomfortable for people to hear. But I think if you're being honest, you can see how it's affected everything. It affected the change. Like being a good athlete is not good enough to be a basketball player. Mm. Like great athlete does not translate to great basketball player. And that's what you got to understand. You know, maybe in football, they'll find a spot for you. But Mm. in basketball, there's very few slots. So because you can jump over the rim does not mean you're going to ever be a basketball player. And the European style that they've taught over there, um, I think was the right way, like teaching shooting at all positions, passing all positions, dribbling all positions, spacing all positions. And so I just really think that we could take something from that. Uh, however, we, we need to reorganize that. You're a big part of that with the Day Foundation. But reorganizing that in a way that kids are getting to that earlier, I would mm-hmm. say, is the, the problem with the, how our youth system is set up. Again, that's just my opinion. Uh, not very popular, but I think there's truth in it. That's a that's a great that's a great that's a great look. And now what what coaches can take from that is that positionless basketball. Don't put that if we're in fifth grade. Don't put a five man in the five to see a little bit taller than the other guards. You know what I mean? So that's right. a, that's an easy fix if everybody can hear that concept. That's a profound theory, right there. We just said, and, that, and it's a it's a quick changer, a quick changer. But if not, like you said. That's why a lot of players are being stuck because they're positioned. You know what I mean? It's it's a positionless type atmosphere right now, and all the big man needs to to bring the ball up as well. Um, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, we all remember. I remember the biggest butt whooping I ever took was over there. We were playing against the, uh, and I know the basketball players would love this. You know, we're playing against. I think it was a Croatian national team. They were breaking up between Serbia and all that the war, but. They had Vladi Divac, Peja Stojakovic, Drazen Petrovic. Wow. I mean, we're talking. Wow. And their ball movement and skill, the way they can move in unison. And if you 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 play if you're a basketball player at the highest level, you know the one shot that you give up if you play perfect D is the corner three. Every time. Now, Jamel, I want you to imagine Peja Stojakovic in one corner and Drazen Petrovic in the other. Dude, <laughs> it was like I got beat by fifty. I got I got. You know, full transparency, I got thrown out of the game because I couldn't take it. Mm. <laughs> so mm. I threw a couple flagrant fouls in there because I couldn't take getting beat by 50. But the movement of the ball and the bodies and the and the, and the decisions were on another level. And uh, that's you, when I knew. You out. You, the defense can't move faster than the ball. Yeah. You got to help somewhere. Yeah. And, and, and nobody you know, making threes because you're like, you know what? I, the layup is right here, but I just give a high percentage shot. But that's not, not really a high percentage shot. When they shoot, that's like a <laughs> yeah, it's like a layup for those two guys. It's a layup, you know. It was it was to the point to where you know you see the rotation, you look and you see who got that swing, and I would just put my hand underneath the net, like <laughs> I, said, I know they're gonna make it. Right. I know they're gonna make it. Like so, it was then that was probably the game where I knew that that mm. European system and the way they were were gonna catch up to us at some point mm. in America. I knew that, I knew that then, and it did. Remember we lost the Olympics sure. not too much further after that. So I could see that coming. And so for you, like guys with the foundations and guys are teaching kids, positionless basketball, man, you, we, we pigeonhole kids for too many years, sure. man, and hurt them sure. by doing it. 
So, you know, every kid needs to, to dribble, pass, shoot, understand spacing, understand screens, understand. Like, what does it hurt for all of them to know that? And right. so now I think coaches who give that are, are ahead of the curve of the guys that still want kind of guys and girls are going old school. That's a good point. Um, and before we get into our oatmeal, closing in our oatmeal recipe, um, I want to get your input on something that's really that's been in the in the in the talk with sports the last, you know, say, you know, year or two, and that's mental health. Um, mm. And we look at it as after think it's being tough. But think about when you were injured with your back injury or injured from a leg injury. And think about the mental focus. You got to think about losing your playing time, death in the family, your grades not going well. I mean, it's a lot of things that, you know, we, 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 we deal with that really we don't talk about. What's your take on the mental health of student athletes and, and athletes today? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 45 years old, almost 46. So this is not coming from a younger perspective and I, I need to, to get better at this. So in our day, you know this, we were taught to just put your head down and deal with it. For sure. Right? Put your head down and deal with it. It just is what it is. Life is not fair. I mean, I heard every lesson you could hear in my home. So, you know, mental health, addressing it wasn't part of our generation so for sure would you agree with that would I you agree with that statement yeah right so now uh we're in this new world now where it's important and i do think it's important you know for me i'm i'm having trouble identifying the gray area so the gray areas where you know i think this is a constant in life the higher the salary the more the pressure sure. that's just kind of what comes with it and so I don't know where that stops and starts. And you also are able to help players because it's true. We all struggle with uh, sometimes a lot of us is not even just basketball. It's the, it's the neighborhoods we come from. It's the mm. things we saw growing up. There's other parts of trauma in our mind that we a lot of us put to the back of my mind. I, I'll speak for myself. For sure. I put in the back of my mind trauma, major trauma uh, that a lot of us see that a lot of other people don't. Sure. And so it's it's that and it's the basketball or whatever sport you're involved in as well. So I know there's a market there. I know there's something there to be done that can help, you know, maybe even it's a sounding board or maybe if it's getting into something you've never addressed. Uh, but at the same time, how you balance that against, you know, uh, if you're in the NBA and somebody's paying you $30 million a year, they're not really big on hearing about how you feel. That day. <laughs> you know, it's just that's what comes with the job. Right. So I don't that balance that gray area. I'm having trouble with that identifying where that is. Maybe you you've got a better perspective on that than I do. You work with younger kids than I do, so well, you probably are better. To no, I I totally I totally agree with you. But you know when I'm talking about you know right now I'm, I'm in school right now being a um, getting a licensed um, counseling and talk about dealing with athletes. You know, as far as game preparation, post game, not really the mental stuff, but. The, the emotional feelings that can enter the, I mean, result into the mental stress. You know what I mean? Uh, injury, death, situations like that. But it's something that obviously if it's, uh, it's being talked about more, I think more athletes are coming out. And sometimes we quick to label athletes with mental disabilities when, you know, that's just easy to say. So I, I, I totally feel with you um, when you say that. It is a gray area, but and that's why I'm talking to different people, just trying to get a a feel for what their take is so I can, like you said, get a, a better, well-rounded idea of how it, how it should be. 
definitely a need there. I'm glad to hear you doing that because it's a real thing. I don't want to discard that. You know, I don't think the way we were taught is the right way either. You know, I, I do think there's something in there. Now, the problem with America, sometimes we swing to the pendulum too far one way. Exactly. And so and so, and so it's always it's always the middle, you know. And so if you're able to identify what that is, I think a lot of things can be accomplished. You know what I mean? And I think it's just, you know, basically case by case situation, not really a one size yes. at all situation. Correct. Correct. He made a name for himself as a star for the College of Charleston basketball teams in the mid to late 90s. And now, Jermel President is doing what he can to make sure that the Charleston area kids have a chance to succeed on the court and in life. So I want to, you know, give some of that back to the community as well. Um, after college and after playing professionally, uh, I started the Day Foundation just to, to be that wealth of knowledge to the kids in the community and, and parents as well. College of Charleston Hall of Famer Jamel President said he saw a need for this while he was in school. So he founded the nonprofit Day Foundation. And his philosophy for success is based on what he calls his oatmeal recipe. Let's go and finish together. Basically, teaches the game of basketball, focusing on skills, development, nutrition, and education. Not only SAT, ACT type stuff, but education for parents in how to navigate through the different levels of athletics. Um, so, Danny, in, um, in closing, we, we created something called the Oatmeal Recipe, man, which is uh, skill development, education, and nutrition. And I think through any, um, any profession in life, that's huge um, for the development and sustainability. Even with athletes, skill development, we talk about that, how important skill development is. Education, you know, just knowing how to, you know, just driving the ball when it's seven and ten team fouls instead of shooting a three-point shot. That's education. And then the nutrition, how important that is. So, I want to give those three things to get your input right quick before we close out and um, talk about skill development, how important that is uh, to athlete and not, and not just an athlete in the profession and how do you apply it to your everyday life? Yeah, I mean, all the lessons we learned in sports are very transferable. I mean, they, they work in just about everything in life is just about figuring out how to do it. For sure. Um, with skill development, you know, here's what I can tell athletes or career uh you know, centers people who want to grow in their career, you know, you're never, you should never be comfortable in where you are. Uh, learn how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And what I mean by that is that you're never good enough. You're never at your highest peak. You're never everything you can be. Like you always have to work toward that. That never stops. Every day that you're blessed, a day on earth, your, 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 your goal is to be better than you were the day before. And it doesn't matter what you're involved in. You know, you always seek out. I mean, with the internet now, we didn't have that. There's all this access to information and, and new ways of doing things that are better than what it was before. Things improve, right, over time. Right. So, you know, you, you have it, it takes you as a person doing the work to make sure that from a development standpoint, you're staying on par with everybody else. You know, you, that's your responsibility. Sure. You know, I tell that to my kids all the time. Like, you know, I can push you, but what happens when I'm not there? Exactly. So it has to be you. It has to be your philosophy in life. And that's what I have to say about skill uh, development. Education, I mean, man, you're talking about it yourself. You're talking about getting your counseling degree. I went back and got my master's in public administration. Uh, I think that's, again, that's the thing that you do every day. I don't think it stops necessarily. I think too many of us 
settle in life. You know, we get into this, this role in life, we kind of get comfortable and we ride it out. Uh, I've chosen not to do that. I've chosen to always challenge myself because you find yourself being more productive and you find yourself being uh, a better person. And for young people, it keeps you out of trouble. Cause I tell you what, if you're busy working on your craft and busy working on your school and busy working on yourself, you ain't got time to get in trouble, exactly. you know? So you might as well use the positive aspect of it and nutrition. I think these kids, man, I mean, just listen to the best in the game. Tom Brady, LeBron James, Russell Wilson. They spend a million dollars a year on their body. A million dollars a year. That statement alone should let you know how they are and why Tom Brady can play till he's 45 and LeBron can play till he's 37 and how Russell Wilson can play until he's probably going to be 40 or so before he gets out is because what you put in your body is what comes out. Uh, and uh, again, we didn't know that much about that. That was not something that was readily available in our generation. But now uh, they can make close connections to food and brain activity, food and you know, muscle development and just, you know, diet and water, how important water is to you, like all these things, man. So I feel like you have an obligation, not as an athlete, but as a human being, to always strive to be better in all those areas, not just one, but all areas. And then just make yourself a, a better overall person, not just in sports, but in your career and with your personal life and everything. For sure, for sure. Well, DJ, man, that concludes us. I'll end you for the day, man. I appreciate that. You said a lot of good gems that I think that I know that'd be helpful to the audience, you know, coaches, players, families, the whole nine. So uh appreciate your time today. And thanks as always nah, for no, being a guest. No man. problem. No problem. I mean, I got a question for you though. Yes, sir. What do you think of what did you think about my um take on the European club system compared to what we have here? I think this, I think, I think you're absolutely you're absolutely dead on. I think, and you can see from the games from the European players that's in the NBA right now, how the 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 the, the, the rotation and the plays kind of kind of goes around that. You know what I'm saying? You got the six eleven, six nine, bringing the ball up, you know, shooting threes. So you're absolutely right. And then before what and what that happened? What's what's the team that played last year? Chicago Loyola, Loyola, Chicago, something like that. Yeah, Loyola. Yeah. When that big was on the on the top of the key, it opens the hole up for drives. Because now you don't have right. the bigs in the hole no more. They're on top of the key shooting threes. That hole, the, the paint looks like a, a, a empty can. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's gonna create that's yeah. gonna create a whole lot of baseline drives, a whole lot of uh, offensive, you know, rebounds and putbacks just on on those shots alone. So yeah, I totally agree with you. And that and that that taught me something today when you said that about the transition. It's a huge transition and it's a huge, huge invasion. And I think we're behind the European game. We have to get caught up because now we were just relying on athleticism, jumping, you know, but when you're right. passing and cutting and getting face cut, you know, mm -hmm. that can be a huge, a huge deal. Those extra points add up over a period of time. Well, we also are older too. So like, you know, we love watching Jordan and the high flyers and the, and the, and the, and the highlight plays, but that don't win championships, right? Exactly. That doesn't win championships. But my favorite player in the league to watch by far now is the Joker. Um, my, man, my watching that guy. dude play, that dude, man, I, slowest dude on the floor, can't jump over a dollar, like, but gives people 30, 20, and 
12 like it ain't nothing, dude. Exactly. Like it ain't nothing. And I and the way he does it, he expends so little energy to do it. Like I just watch him and I'm amazed by his skill set. Does that make sense? I'm just that like this dude. Sense. This dude, he only has one guy that can guard him, Anthony Davis. And that's only because Anthony Davis is seven mm-hmm. foot and exactly. a guard. And a guard, so he's comfortable. Yeah, he can't shoot over him. So that's the only guy in the league that can even offset him. You know, right. it's just AG, AD. But outside of that, everybody's at his mercy, bro. Like he do what he wanted to out there. I'm totally like, agree. this dude, this dude. Oh my god. Totally agree, man. <laughs> totally agree. Yeah, yeah. Who's yours now? Uh, you know, I don't really watch it that much, but I, I gotta go with. I gotta go with. Uh, your boy uh, from the Suns, um, uh, the point guard. Booker? Booker. I like Booker. I like Devin him. Booker? I like Devin. Yeah. You, you remind me yeah. you, you a little bit. But I, I like yeah. I yeah, like yeah. Him. A little bit. Like a little bit. bit. Yeah, I can see yeah, that. that. He's got that mid-range. Uh, you know what I'm saying? He a dog a little bit, too. He get to the cup. He got hops. You know his dad. You know his dad. Huh? You know his dad. Who? You know who his dad is? His dad played at Missouri, Melvin Booker. You don't remember I mean, Melvin I, Booker? I know that. Yeah. That's his dad. That's wow. his pops. Wow. Yeah. I was like, I know you know his name because Melvin used to get that. down. I didn't know Melvin that. used to get down at Missouri. Remember, you know what I'm talking about? The guard? Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, that's his dad. That's his daddy. So, you know, he, his mom, he lived somewhere else. And then he told his mom when he was like in the ninth, tenth grade, he wanted to be big time. So he moved to Mississippi to be with Melvin. And they said Melvin put him through it. I put bet him you through it. You can tell. <laughs> you can tell. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, hey, man, it's good talking to you. You too, man. And hey, uh, this is off. Uh, I'm a. I'm gonna close this out, but I'm gonna call you right quick. So there it goes, guys. Another one in the books. Want to thank Danny Johnson for coming on and giving us um, his wealth of knowledge uh, to our audience, students, families on how to be an effective student athlete. Uh, his trials and tribulations from high school to college, and then uh, making a, a drastic change um, from Clemson to the college. And as a result, we have huge success in our student athlete. Don't forget to subscribe to our Triple Threat Podcast on your favorite listening platform. We are live on Apple, Google, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. That's triple threat, spelled three R I P L E three H R E A T. Triple threat podcast. We'll be right back. What Jermel is doing with Today Foundation and the approach he's taking to help develop young athletes. First of all, getting them prepared from the academic standpoint, which, as you know as well as I do, Bobby, that's the most important element to try to get them to eat healthy, to be able to train properly, to get the proper education, and then hopefully for those who are talented enough to have a chance to move on to perhaps even get a free education by going off to college. But I love what Jermel is doing. It's a wonderful program. Hopefully more people in the community will get behind it and and some of the businesses involved as well to help sponsor this program because these are the kind of things that every community needs. Looking out for the best interest of a youth. The future of this country is in our youth. And everything that we can do to help prepare them better for that is absolutely wonderful. And, And I can't express adequately enough my admiration and respect for what Jermel is doing and hopefully he'll get a lot of help from a lot of people.
You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month.